Looks pretty straight to me. Does that look straight to you? Looks like they did a good job on this construction. Does anybody know what that is? You say it all so dutifully, a plumb line. Even better, do you know what it's for? Of course, those of you who are familiar with it know that a plumb line is used for making, to see whether something's straight or not. And uh, builders will use it when they're building a wall, for example, to see whether or not everything is perfectly straight. Uh, Boys and girls, if this is a plumb line, what is at the end of a plumb line, do you think? A plumb, right? (laughs) Well, technically this is called a plumb bob. Don't know how he got involved here, but uh, plumb bob. Well, this is all part of the message that God gave to me to share with the people of Israel. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I suppose I should introduce myself to you. My name is, is Amos from Tekoa. Pretty small town about 10-12 miles south of Jerusalem. When I lived, that was in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was, of course, the other 10 tribes. And so I lived in there in Tekoa with my family, doing what my father had done, and his father before him was a shepherd. And, uh, well, we also were uh, sometimes called uh, fig pickers. Uh, I don't know if that was said very uh, lovingly or not, but we did uh, dress out sycamore figs as part of our our family's uh, business and trade. But God had a message for me, and he wanted me to go proclaim that message to Israel. I was one of what they call one of the first literary prophets, meaning that, that... From earliest time, the message that that God had given me to proclaim was, in fact, written down. And uh, maybe you're familiar with uh, some of my writing. Anybody quote something from Amos? Real catchy? How about, uh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, and coming humbly on a, riding on a, see, you know it, except that's not me, that was another guy. (laughs) Uh, How about, uh, what does the Lord require of you, O man? This is what the Lord requires, to, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. You know that too, but that's not me either. Um. That was a guy named Micah. How about, do you remember when uh, the prophet was called and God said, who's going to go for us? Whom shall I send? And, and remember the prophet said what? Here am I. Send me. Send me. That wasn't me either. That was Isaiah. He, he came a little bit after me. No, none of those were my writings. But, but maybe you might recognize some of what I wrote. Because my message was really one of of repentance, of judgment. Um, Seek good and hate what is evil. 
establish justice, hate evil and, and love what is good, and establish justice in the land. And maybe you recognize this one. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. My message was about justice or the lack thereof. And it was one of turning to God. Maybe you might even recognize these words. God said through me, he said, since I'm about to do this, O Israel, since I am planning to do this, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Does that sound like a nice, friendly message? Prepare to meet your God? Sometimes you might hear it as prepare to meet your maker. It's usually spoken to somebody when they're on the edge of of some great calamity, of some great uh, distress or judgment where they may not come out on the other side. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Unfortunately, that was precisely the message that God sent me to give. For Israel to prepare to meet their God. Judgment was inevitable. Let me tell you a little bit about the society that I was called to proclaim to. That northern kingdom, Israel it was called. It was actually doing very well in that day. The king who was on the throne was was a guy named Jeroboam. The son of Joash. And he certainly was a decent leader. I mean, he knew how to administer. He knew how to get things done. He was definitely, things were good. There was a good, flourishing economy. People had in abundance. There was luxury. There was peace. Granted, it was a, uh, it was kind of a, a peace that was paid for. Jeroboam and Israel was paying to the Assyrians to protect them so that they wouldn't invade and so forth. But nonetheless, there was peace. And maybe what, what pleased the Israelites more than anything was that their brothers to the south in Judah, they weren't doing as well. In fact, Judah was paying money to Israel for protection. But the people of Israel were living on, I guess you would say, easy street. They had time on their hands. You'd think it would be a perfect use of time to, to say thank you to the God who had chosen them to be his people. The use of time to serve him and to work and to love others and to show kindness and acts of mercy and care. But that wasn't the case. In fact, so often had the people not done these things That time and again, God had sent people like me, prophets, to warn them and to get them to repent. And and sometimes that worked. But God, in his graciousness and his loving forgiveness, he, on many occasions, relented 
of the evil that he should have brought down on them. The justice and the judgment that should have been theirs, he turned away from that and the people were spared. And that would make them thankful, right? That would make them thankful that God hadn't judged them, that they now would say, okay, Lord, we won't do that again. We're going to serve you with everything we've got. No. It didn't happen. And so when I got sent to Israel, it was, I hate to say it, too late. God had put up with their sinfulness for so long that now he had decreed that judgment must come. And that's what I had to do. I had to proclaim that judgment. That Israel would be literally destroyed. The people would be taken into exile. And, and the kingdom, the dynasty, would, would, be, would be attacked by the sword. Now, I mentioned Jeroboam. And as that goes, he, he may have been a fine king for administration and all that thing, but one thing he was not was he was not a spiritual leader. And even more importantly, he was not a spiritual man. At least in terms of a man after God's own heart. Don't get me wrong, there was plenty of religiosity in the country. They had places of worship in a number of of different sites. And and there was all kinds of activity gathered around worship, sacrifices and and festivals and observations of, of various things. But the problem was, the people's heart was not right with God. And they were, they were worshiping in, in just name only. They'd gather, they'd go through the motions, and, and whatever it was supposed to mean in terms of them and God, it didn't. And so God even told me to denounce and condemn their worship. God said through me, I hate your religious festivals. I hate your sacrifices. I hate all your offerings that you're offering because your heart is not right. Be kind of like people who, who are nominally something, but, but their, their hearts aren't changed. They, they confess it with their lips, but their, their hearts are far from God. And so God said, this is going to stop. There will be judgment. And and that's where the plumb line came in, actually. I had seen a vision, and in the vision, I saw God actually holding a plumb line, and he was holding it next to a wall that had been built with a plumb line. So guess what? It was perfectly straight. And he said, go and tell my people that I am going to take a plumb line in the midst of them. No longer am I going to simply pass by and overlook their transgressions. No longer am I going to simply uh, turn away from from their transgressions and their sins. No, I am going to take a plumb line 
and show them what they should be measured against. Perfect straightness. Do any of you want to take the plumb line test today? Not just in terms of posture, are you standing up straight, but in terms of your, your life. In terms of everything in your life. What you, what you spend your time doing. Where you have your mind set. What it is that you're, you're striving for. What are your goals and so forth. Are all of those things perfectly in line with God's commands? Are all of your words and your actions and your attitudes, do they measure up? Are they perfectly straight? If so, wonderful. But if not, that comes under God's condemnation. You see, with God, there is something called an absolute Is your society kind of like those people of Israel back then? Where they didn't really believe in absolutes? They would rather having than having a uh, measuring line like that, they would look at something and say, yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty straight, don't you? Yeah, I think that'll work. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, I think it's straight. If it looks straight to you, it looks straight to me. Yeah, that's good. Let's call it good. And they go on. You see, there was such a compromise with their confession that their their faith was no longer in the Almighty, in Yahweh. Their faith was in their their wealth and and their power and their leisure and, and their own minds. You see, there is an absolute. And there's a reason for it. I'm told, I'm not a builder, But I'm told that if you don't get every brick or every stone perfectly lined up with the one below it, that even if you're off just a little bit, then the next one's going to be off just a little bit, and the next one's going to be off just a little bit. And although the structure, the wall, might look fine, you don't want to be near it when any kind of stress or pressure comes against it. Because it's not going to stand. Needless to say, I was not very popular. I did not draw big crowds. But that's not why I was sent. I was sent to Bethel, which was one of those places of worship, of false worship. And there, there was a man who was the priest. His name was Amaziah. If anyone would would be able to know what it means to carry God's message and to, to know that there are absolutes with the Lord and so forth, you'd think it would be a priest, but not Amaziah. When he heard my preaching, when he heard my message about Israel's exile, he sent word to King Jeroboam and said, hey king, guess what? Amos is in a conspiracy against you. He's conspiring to overthrow or undercut the kingdom of Israel. And he says that you are going to die by the sword. Well, needless to say, that made me public enemy number one. 
And Amaziah, in fact, comes to me and tells me off in the front of all the people there at Bethel. And he says, Amos, go home. Go back to your place in Judah. Go eat your bread there. Go take your prophecies and go to Judah. Go back there and never again, he threatened, come to Bethel and prophesy here. Because this place, this Bethel, is the sanctuary of the king. And this is a temple of the kingdom. You can see where the priorities are messed up. And so that's when I felt compelled to say to Amaziah and others, I said, listen, I am no prophet. I'm not a prophet's son. I'm not a preacher's kid. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't go to one of those schools of the prophets like others do. I don't know anything about those types of fineries of being a prophet. I was just a fig picker and a shepherd. But Yahweh... Yahweh took me from following the flock, and Yahweh is the one who said, go, Amos, I have a message that you need to prophesy to the people. Well, I'd like to say, if Yahweh tells you to do something, you should do it. And by God's grace, I carried out the mission. But what about you? What is Yahweh telling you to do? What is the mission that that he has for you? How are you supposed to live your lives? and, And how are you supposed to conduct yourselves to bring honor and glory to Yahweh? Now, I know there's lots of questions because people will say, well, how do you know when the Lord is talking to you? I mean, does he speak to you in an audible voice? Does he appear to you in visions or dreams? Does he send messages? How does he tell you and talk to you and tell you what you're supposed to do? That's a great question. And, and I can't answer it for, for any of you. But I can say this. That one of the things God has made clear, and someone much later than my time said it, they said, in many and various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, in your days, he has spoken to us by his son. My message was one of judgment and punishment and exile. I wrote, as you number them, 146 verses, nine chapters worth. And 141 of those verses had that type of a message. Repent, uh, God's destruction, exile. But the last five? Oh, The last five verses that God had me give to the people, thanks be to God, they were a message still. Even though it was too late for Israel, it was still a message of hope. God always extends hope 
to his people, always extends that hope to anyone who puts their trust in him. And that message was something like this. A day is coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the booth of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its cities and its walls, and the fortunes of my people Israel will be restored. There was hope. There was going to be someone who was going to come to take over David's throne to establish the kingdom where God could show his true nature of mercy and grace and forgiveness. God promised to be with us. In Hebrew, that's called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. The Lord promised that the Lord would save. In Hebrew, that's Yeshua. Jesus. In his name. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.